This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-wy-giving. Tonight, we're stepping away from our red letter studies, at least for this week, and I think I advised that we would, uh, we would be having a topical Bible study tonight, and we don't do many of those. We usually do our Bible studies as uh, straight textual teachings right out of any particular book of the Bible at, at a time, but on occasion we'll do a topical study where we're teaching more on a subject rather than just teaching right out of the text of Scripture. Although, tonight's topical Bible study will be almost exclusively, if not exclusively, out of 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. Now, we're not going to cover all four of those chapters exhaustively, not by a far sight. But we're going to talk tonight about, you know what, let's call it an introduction to spiritual gifts. This is going to be an introduction to spiritual gifts. And there's a reason why we're teaching this. It's not that any one particular thing has happened that's brought this up or made this a necessity. It's a necessity because there is a tremendous amount of confusion where the spiritual gifts are concerned. And, and we'll get a little bit more into that here in a moment. But I've, uh, you know what, I've got kind of an introduction to our introduction. So this will probably be a study... This will probably be a study that will span a couple of weeks. Uh, I can definitely say that it'll probably not just be one study. Because while there's not, there's not a whole lot to it as far as explanation, I don't think that there needs to be a whole lot to it as far as explanation. A lot of what, a lot of what we're going to teach is to the intent of dismantling a lot of bad understanding that's out there about the spiritual gifts because people have taken it and they've done a lot of things with it. But, but we understand that God is a giver, don't we? And we want to kind of take this systematically, a little bit more methodically than, than, uh, than normal because we're dealing with it as a subject. We understand that God is a giver and the Word of God makes it very clear that God is a giver. And if, you've, and if you're a Christian at all, ever have been, then you understand not only by the Word of God, but by your own experience in accordance with the Word of God, that God is a giver. That's His character. He is a Father. He is the greatest of all fathers. The Bible tells us that all good things come from the Father of lights. And that all who come to God must first believe that He is, and, and this is the part that I like, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. There are a lot of people that never experience or even observe the operation of a spiritual gift because they just don't seek Him diligently. They just don't. They've got other things going on. They have their hobbies, their distractions, their jobs, and the cares of life that are always thorns trying to choke out our gardens. And that's just sort of... They're satisfied in the experience that they have. And I'm not saying that, that they're sinners necessarily. I'm talking about believers that have never experienced these things because you know, they've come to a comfortable place in their relationship with God and there's no hunger anymore. 
There's no hunger, there's no desire, there's no curiosity, there's nothing in them that desires to dig deeper or to climb up higher. They just, I'm okay, you know, and they're not really looking to get any, clo- get any closer to God at all. And it's my prayer that that changes. Because in God and in our life for God, there is an untapped vault of wealth. And we're not talking about money. And you know that I'm not. We're not a money church here. We never have been. By the grace of God, we never will be. That will never be our God. Okay? But there is an untapped or there is, there is a vault of wealth that is waiting for every single individual living, breathing, born-again Christian to tap. And there is everything in there from peace and contentment and, and peace of mind, peace of heart, and peace that passes all understanding we talk about fairly often. But there's not just that in there. There's power in there. There's power to live above sin. There's power to overcome the enemy. There's power to overcome uh, our own, and I use this phrase colloquially, our own demons. I'm not speaking in the literal sense, okay? Demons are literal. We don't mess with them. God has them on a short leash. We don't have to fear them or worry about them. But... There is a vault of wealth that is waiting for every single individual Christian to tap, to take advantage of, and to utilize. And we're going to get more into that here in just a little bit. But, so we understand by the Word of God that God is a giver. He rewards those that diligently seek Him, that set and fix their minds and their heart to seek Him and to seek everything that He offers us in the spiritual sense. It's, it's a small-minded or a very young in the faith, very immature believer whose mind is always fixed on the material and that's the only thing that they ever think of or desire from God. Let me tell you something. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the kind of wealth that He deals in is far and above and beyond in terms of permanence and in terms of satisfaction than any piece of junk you could buy down at Tyr- Tyrell, Tyrell, Doyle, however they pronounce it. You know, and that's probably half beat up with hailstones today anyway. Uh, there's been a lot more damage come from uh, the last couple of storms that we've had. And, and uh, I've heard some horror stories of some people down in the springs. Reverend Sister Wilson down in our church down there, they're helping in, in, uh, in, the ch- in our church in Colorado Springs. They've had a skylight smashed out and their roof has been damaged now twice by the hailstones. So if you need something to pray for, uh, pray for the damage. And, uh, and that things get fixed quickly and, and, and so on. But he's a giver. He rewards those that diligently seek him. And, all right, one might say, okay, well, what has God given us? Well, God gave us his son. And his son gave us his life. And even before he gave us his life, he gave us his life in the living. He, he gave us three solid years of uninterrupted ministry wherein he taught and he traveled and he preached and he taught and he healed and he taught and, and so on. Three solid years of being effectively dead to himself to meet the needs of a bunch of sinners. To meet the needs of a bunch of people, some of them believed, some of them not so much. It was To be a believer in those days was uh, qualitatively different than to be a believer during New Testament times because Jesus had not yet died. And so the human heart was not yet able to be changed in the same context that we understand it today. But he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave. And what did he even take? Well, precious little, if anything at all. Really precious little, if anything at all, did he take. And so 
What does the Spirit give us? God gave us His Son. His Son gave us His ministry and then His own life, His own blood shed on the cross to change us and all that. What does the Spirit give us? Well, this is an introduction to those gifts. This is an introduction to those gifts. And you can, as you go through 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, if you have not been inoculated against these chapters, if you haven't been warned by perhaps churches that you've been a part of or people that you've known in your past, if you haven't been inoculated against them by saying, well, you watch out for those churches where they X, Y, Z, you know, fill in the blank. And invariably, they always pick on tongues. They always pick on tongues. You watch out for them churches where they speak in tongues. Now you go watch out for them churches where they speak in tongues. They're crazy. They're fairly, you know, they bring out snakes and stuff. We... No snakes. We don't really deal in that. But gifts are a whole different matter. And we're going to do our very best. So who's we? Me and the Holy Ghost. Help me, Lord. We're going to do our very best to teach clearly and maybe not so concisely, but certainly clearly uh, so that there is no confusion or doubt where the gifts of the Spirit are concerned. So one might ask the question, why do we need to know about them? Well, because there is scarcely found an area of doctrine so rife with misunderstanding and ignorance and error and just plain bald-faced counterfeits. There is scarcely an area in Scripture that is so rife with it. Uh, Maybe some areas concerning the end times and the revelation. There's uh, a lot of people with some wonky, bonky doctrines concerning that sort of thing when it's actually quite clear. But where it comes to the spiritual gifts, you have a tremendous amount of emotion and emotionalism that gets, uh, that gets rolled up into it. And then you have a lot of wishful thinking and a lot of good intentions and not, no small amount of pride a lot of times too. And these, these can all, and it, it, it turns something that is good and that is from God, it turns it into a kind of a tossed salad of you don't know, don't know what to believe and what to do with this. So we're going to really try to shed some light on it. So turn with me, if you would, if you haven't already, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he begins in verse 1. This is Paul the Apostle writing to the church at Corinth concerning spiritual gifts. And we know that Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God himself. Amen? Okay. Verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Let me stop right there. Let's back up and grab verses 4, 5, and 6 because he doesn't spend a whole lot of time in introduction here himself. He jumps right into uh, some of the basics of this. Let's take this first verse. Let's take this first verse. Mm. Do we need to give any historical context to what was going on? 
If you've ever read 1 Corinthians, raise your hand. I'm not trying to call anybody out. If you haven't, you haven't. If you have, you have. Okay, so most but not quite all. So just a, a quick little bit of backstory. Suffer me for a little, a little bit with this. The, the church in Corinth was a very zealous, very energetic, very, uh, you, could, you could say that perhaps they were a very fired up church. But they, were also, they also succumbed rather quickly to a charismatic spirit. Okay, now not all charismatic, not, not all things charismatic are necessarily bad, but there's an awful lot in it that is. Because charismatic spirit is all about the feels, it's all about the emotions, and, it's, and it is oftentimes contrary to what the Word of God actually says. And if you understand anything about the Word of God and the Spirit of God, is that they both work together. And they never contradict one another. The Spirit of God never leads a believer to do something that the Word of God uh, speaks against. Likewise, the Word of God never, never admonishes a believer to do something that the Spirit of God would fight against. You, you know what I'm saying? They work together. They are always in harmony. They're always in agreement. But the church in Corinth had kind of gone off the rails. Now, a lot of churches, uh, over time, they fossilize and they get kind of stagnant in their own institutionalism and their own rituals and all of that sort of thing. That's where the sort of natural inclination of a church will lead it if it, if it, uh, if it allows that to happen. But the church in Corinth just kind of went in over into the other ditch and they just went sort of bonkers. And, and whenever they got together, and you, you, as you read in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, mostly 1 Corinthians, uh, they talk about, Paul talks about some of the errors that they had fallen into. Uh, every time they got together, everybody had a song, everybody had a psalm, every, somebody had a poem, somebody had you know, some allegedly spiritual gift that didn't have any kind of precedence in, in the Word. Because they didn't understand the nature of the Spirit and how the spiritual gifts worked. And so Paul was writing to them in part to kind of clear up that mess because as good as the spiritual gifts are, these guys had some real problems going on in their church, didn't they? They had some very serious sins going on. They had a, they had a church member there and it was a known thing. It wasn't that it was being done in secret, but there was a church member there who was committing adultery with his own mother-in-law. Yes, his father's wife, his mother-in-law. This man was doing that. And the leadership wasn't doing anything about it. It was just like, uh, well, yeah, grace covers everything. No, not necessarily. Not, not when it hasn't been repented of. It's sin and it's devastating. And so Paul wrote to them to clarify a lot of this and to sort of set things in order that had become very much out of order. Does that make sense? Because there's a verse, you know what, and I want to share this right off the bat. I want to pull it right out of, the, of uh, chapter 14, verse 40. He says, let all things be done decently and in order. As opposed to what? Well, indecently and disorderly. So, well, preacher, I don't know where you're going with this because don't you know I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Don't you know I grew up in a Pentecostal church where we used to run across the tops of the pews every Sunday night. Well, if you try that here, you're probably going to get hurt because the pews are not anchored. And they're going to fall, and you're going to hit your head on something, and then I'm not paying that bill. <laughs> the your rocks will be loose. Yes, exactly. Decently and in order. So remembering that there's almost always two different ditches of error that we can, we can fly into concerning anything in, in, in spiritual life and the Christian life, okay? We don't want to disbelieve 
in miracles. We do not want to quench the Spirit. The Word of God tells us not to quench the Spirit. It uses that language very specifically. But neither are we going to be a Corinthian circus act where everybody's got a song and everybody's got a psalm and everybody's got a poem and then here's a brother saying, I have the gift of laughter and then here's a sister saying, I have the gift of painting. No, 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 no. So let's try to clear some of this up. Let's try to clear some of this up. It doesn't stop there, okay? There are, there are people that do a multitude of things claiming that these things are spiritual gifts when the Bible really doesn't support it. And that, I gave just a couple of examples there, you know, because you've heard people, either you have or I have, you've met people that have claimed to have some kind of a spiritual gift, and it's something like the gift of listening, Exactly. We know that our brother isn't making that claim right now. The gift of listening isn't a spiritual gift. The gift of painting is not a spiritual gift. That's not some divine thing from the Lord as explained in the Word of God. Now, you might have a particular knack for it. It might be a skill that you've just worked very hard to develop and maybe God has opened doors for you to learn something because He's a Father and He cares even about seemingly small and comparatively insignificant things. He really does. I mean, if He helped... if he, by by a miraculous twist of events, helped my wife find her, fi her, fi her five-year anniversary ring that I gave her, okay? If he cares about something as insignificant as a stupid rock inset into a ring of metal, then he cares about things that some people perhaps don't even care about themselves. But not every good thing in our life is necessarily a spiritual gift, okay? So let's go on. Why, why, is, why is it such a big deal that we actually need to have a Bible study on it? Well, because if you don't know how to recognize a counterfeit $100 bill, how will you know when somebody passes you one? And I found one in my yard um, a couple weeks back, $100 bill. And it looked convincing. It really did. It blown in on the wind, you know. Look at the back, look at the front. It looked real, except for the fact that it didn't have any of the water markings, didn't have any of those little security features that were in it, and it had this goofy pink Chinese writing on it, printed on it. And I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't know if I was looking at somebody's serious attempt to pass a fake bill or if it was uh, something in a game, from a game. I had, I had no idea. But the point is, nobody counterfeits a $3 bill, do they? They only counterfeit something that's real. And so the devil's always at work trying to counterfeit things and pass off things as being genuine that aren't necessarily genuine. And so this is for our mutual protection from lies, falsehoods, misrepresentations, etc. Even, you know, people that mean well. Because I don't bash people for wanting spiritual gifts and for wanting to be used of God. That's something we ought to covet. He even says that in these three chapters. That we ought to covet the best gifts. I think it's at the end of chapter 14. Or near the end of chapter 14. But it's to protect us from things that are false and not genuine. And it's also for our, own, our mutual edification. It's for our mutual edification. We've talked a lot in the last half a year about strengthening the body of Christ and 
Whatever strengthens the individual believer strengthens the whole body of Christ. It's like any organ in your body that gets a boost of something that makes it better, faster, or stronger, or more healthy, or whatever. What strengthens the whole body makes the whole body better off. It's no different in the spiritual sense, us, all as members of the body of Christ. And the language that Paul uses in chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians uses the same language, and that all ties into the gifts. So it's important to understand what's right concerning spiritual gifts so that you know the real from the fake. And that'll protect you, especially if you're new in the faith or comparatively new in the faith. When somebody comes bopping along your path, when the devil sends one of his own ignorant agents by your way to try to lead you off into some area that simply is not scriptural by claiming to have something, some kind of a gift that isn't a gift, or even a gift that is a gift, but they understand it wrongly, like the gift of healing, okay? The gift of healing. I have the gift of healing. No, you don't. No, you do not. No, you do not. Unless God has healed your body. That is a gift of healing. Because that brings us to the most, one of the most important things to understand about the spiritual gifts is that they're not ours. They belong to God. They belong to God. It is God who gives them. It is God who administers them. It is God who operates them. And that's what he says here in verses 4, 5, and 6. Let's go back and read this. Chapter 12, verses 4, 5, and 6. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Well, what does all, all that Paul language mean? It means that there are different, times of, different kinds of gifts, but they're from the same source. And it means that they are given to different people, but they're from the same source. And it means that they work in different ways. The gifts work in different ways, but they're from the same source. They belong to God they are given by God, and they're given by God for very specific reasons. And none of them involve our own glory, do they? How many uh, healing ministries have you heard about? And, and some of them were, were, were quite legitimate. Some of them were quite legitimate because it was God that was giving that gift through a person to bless somebody who was sick or unwell or infirm. Okay? And, uh, but whenever the preacher... Or whoever it is, because the preacher's not the only conduit. Not by a million miles. God can move upon anyone, and God can move upon anything. Didn't he make a donkey speak once? That's Old Testament. And didn't he make the cock crow three times? Brought Peter under condemnation, or under conviction, rather. Brought Peter under uh, very serious conviction. So God can use anyone in anything, but the moment that a person that God is trying to use to operate or to administer a spiritual gift. The moment that that person gets the attitude, it's my gift. This hand can heal. Like that one preacher said. Had a tremendous healing ministry. Had a tremendous healing ministry up until that moment. And then when he actually said that in a church service, the Spirit of God just drew right back from that. And that man, I don't think he was ever instrumental in another person's healing again. It's not us, it's never us, it's never the person. The gifts belong to God and they are bestowed upon a recipient. It, it's, and I use the gift of healing because that's the one that has is, that is so often been shystered. Well, not so often, there's, an, there's another one or two that, get, that gets counterfeited a lot. But a gift of healing is like this. I've got cancer and it's killing me. 
And then God gives me a gift of healing and I'm healed. Who received the gift? It's not like he blessed somebody with a magical superpower to run around and heal everybody. It doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. Because if it did, we'd put every clinic and hospital in the entire front range corridor out of business. In fact, we'd stop this Bible study right now and say, forget the food, it'll be here when we get back. And we would, we'd hit the VA first, because they're closest, and then we'd swing up to the urgent care clinic on Del Range, and then go down to Cheyenne Regional and just clean the whole hospital out. Yeah. You're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, 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 healed. We wouldn't be able to go fast enough. It'd take us all night. Well, maybe not, if we, if we were all doing it. It's, it's, not, it's not a superpower. It is a miraculous gift that God bestows on a person who needs it and has the faith to believe that they can receive it. Because that, that ties into it a lot too. So, different gifts, same spirit. Different ways that they're operated. Different people that they are, that they are administered through. But it's the same God behind all of it. It's the same power behind all of it. It's His. And so, well, which gift is the greatest? Which one is the most important to have? Which one is the most uh, important gift to covet? And usually we think of the gift of healing because there's always people suffering, right? It's always someone afflicted with something in our own human empathy which we all ought to have we all ought to have as human beings and especially as christians you know it pulls on our hearts and we don't like seeing someone suffer if you're a christian that likes seeing someone suffer you need to pray because you've got a very serious heart problem but so we always think the gift of healing is the most important gift but that really isn't it so which one's the greatest and most coveted the one that's needed most at that moment the one that's needed the most at that moment. Because a gift of prophecy doesn't do anybody any good if they're in need most of healing because they're two steps from the grave. And likewise, a gift of healing is of no profit to anybody if nobody's sick or infirm and there's something going on that prophecy needs to go forth concerning. And again, I'm very careful when I talk about this because there's been a lot of shysterism and a lot of people that have just... They've counterfeited this. They faked it a lot of times because the church culture that they're in puts such a heavy Corinthian emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit. They put such an emphasis on it that everybody thinks that it needs to be going on all the time. Let me tell you something. Gifts of the Spirit are miraculous in nature, or very nearly so, if not absolutely miraculous in nature. And so if they're going on all the time, they kind of lose their specialness, don't they? And then they become expected and then... And whenever we get that way with anything concerning God, we lose a measure of reverence for Him and for His power. And that's something that a Christian doesn't want to fall into. It's a trap we don't want to fall into. No believer ought to fall into that trap. Nobody at all, believer or not, should fall into that trap. So, okay, well, what are the spiritual gifts then? What are the spiritual gifts? Well, uh, and we'll, we'll sort of comb these out through the Scriptures as we go along this week and probably next week. We'll see what the Lord wants. We might be in Matthew chapter 12. It all depends on what God wants. There are nine of them. There are nine of them. Spiritual gifts. And you could organize them into three main categories. There's gifts of revelation. There's gifts of utterance that involve speech. And there are gifts of power. Those are three categories of these various gifts. 
Gifts of revelation include word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discernment of spirits. Now, just so you don't think I'm pulling this out of thin air, this is something that I've cooked up in a pot back home, you know, next to where, let's go back to the word here. So let's go, let's actually pick it up from verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. And to another, by the same spirit, to, uh, to another, or excuse me, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one. All these worketh that one and selfsame Spirit, and you notice that's capitalized, so you know he's talking about the Holy Ghost, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now let's stop right there. And he mentions several of these various nine gifts, okay? And he mentions others in other places. But he mentions word of wisdom and word of knowledge. Those are spiritual gifts. Paul just said that they were. Well, what, what's the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge? Well, we know that knowledge and wisdom are not the same things. Knowledge and wisdom are not the same things. Knowledge is information that is in your head. If a believer receives uh, anybody for that matter, because sometimes God has even worked and given spiritual gifts to people that weren't even saved. God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants. Amen? So even if it seems like he's breaking one of his own rules, well, that tells me that it wasn't a rule then. But anyway, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Knowledge is information. And that can be a miraculous gift when you are given information that you never read or heard. And that's happened at times, especially when a believer needs it the most. They're, they're given, a, they're, they're given a, a sudden and profound understanding of Scripture that had never been there and they had never even read before. That is a gift of knowledge. Gift of wisdom or word of knowledge or word, excuse me, word of wisdom. Sorry, I'm trying to keep all the different words together in the right order. Word of wisdom is different than word of knowledge because wisdom is not information that's in the mind. Wisdom operates on a much deeper and more instinctive level or more intuitive level, I should say, than mere knowledge does. Because there, are, as you know, there are people that are, they have tons of knowledge in their head. They're very knowledgeable about particular things, but they're about as wise What's a good metaphor? They're fools. They're fools. Wait, wait. <laughs> there you go. You know where we're going with this. Book smart, but not street smart at all. You know, and these are the people that can barely tie their shoes in the morning. I mean, they've got 180 IQ. They're incredibly intelligent because intelligence works in a different area than wisdom works in. And there are people that there are people with IQs in double digits that are yet very wise. And they, they understand things, certain things at a very deep and intuitive level. So those are not, and there is no corollary between the two. Psychologically speaking, there is no corollary between intelligence and wisdom. I know I've talked about that before, but it ties into what we're talking about here. Thus, the word of wisdom is a gift of the Spirit and can be given ad hoc. In fact, most of the gifts are given ad hoc. They are a need that a person has at that moment, and the Spirit of God will move upon them and give them, will gift them with a measure of wisdom for the moment, or perhaps longer, with a gift of knowledge for the moment, perhaps longer, 
or discernment of spirits. And we're going to end tonight because we're already, we're already at a half hour. But I'm going to end with this one here, discernment of spirits. This is just a, by way of a brief explanation. You ever been around somebody and they were talking about whatever and something in you picked up something in them that was unspoken and you got a feeling like this guy ain't right. He ain't right on about three or four levels. And you, your spirit recoiled from them. And you wanted to back away and you wanted to be somewhere else. Spirit of, that is a discernment of spirits. There was something of the Spirit of God in you that gifted you with the ability that rather supernatural, the spiritual ability to discern what spirit this other person was. And that's not always in the negative. A lot of times that happens in the positive. You, you, meet, you meet a Christian somewhere. You meet some stranger and they claim to be a Christian. And, uh, but there's some go to some church two states away and they're just passing through town and pumping up their gas or whatever. And, and then something happens and the Spirit of God in you identifies with the Spirit of God in them. And you know that even though they might be part of a different denomination, you know, or, or a different group or, or whatever. But the Spirit of God in both of you, they bear witness to one another. And you discern that their spirit is of God. That's another example. Discernment of spirits. And that goes, it goes a little bit deeper than just mere motives. That, that communicates to you in a way that words didn't and that appearances uh, uh, sometimes don't. Or oftentimes don't, because the judgment of the eyes can be off base. It communicates to you, hey, this person's a believer. They're a real one, not just because they're wearing a t-shirt that says God's gym or something like that on the end. So many times it's just a piece of clothing, and their Christianity doesn't go any deeper than that. But there's a lot of genuine believers that wear such things. There's certainly nothing wrong with this, but if it brings glory to God, you know, judge ye. But... These are all gifts of revelation. The word of wisdom given to a person by the Spirit of God. The word of knowledge given to a person by the Spirit of God. Or the discernment of spirits given to them by the Spirit of God. These are all gifts of revelation. It is a supernatural revealing to the believer of something that they did not come to understand or experience through reading or through hearing or through any other medium. It is a direct delivery right to the front door of your soul, straight from the Holy Ghost. And that's by far more accurate than Amazon or UPS or FedEx that delivered our dog food to the wrong house today. And they did. Right next door. Right address was on the label. Still gave it to the wrong house. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what He's doing. And He gifts according to need and according to faith as he will, and according to our openness. But we are, we are at a place where we need to stop for the night and again, be at the will of the Lord. And I do believe that it will be the will of the Lord, but we'll see. We'll get back into this next week and we're going to talk about gifts of utterance and what those actually mean and what they do not because that's another one that a lot of people just get all twisted up in and they think they understand and exercise the right way and they don't. And just a quick preview, okay? Let's say that all of a sudden, Brother Bob jumps up in the middle of this congregation and just peels off with,
And we're all looking at him like he just had two lobsters jumped out of his nose. But he says, but I was speaking in tongues. Really? Now, tongues are real. Make no mistake. But not everybody that stands up in the middle of a congregation and explodes in, a, in, an, in an outburst of random vocal noise is actually uttering anything by the Spirit of God. And we'll get into greater detail with that next week. And it, it'll be good and it'll be, under, it'll be edifying. And that's the key concerning the purpose of every one of these gifts. They are for the edification and the strengthening of the body of Christ. And there are a lot of groups that do them wrong. And they aren't even really of God when they're being done wrong. And I've been in some places like that. I remember a Pentecostal church that I visited that, um, back when I was a teenager down in Colorado Springs. Um, and I guess it was just part of their order of service. You know, they'd stand up and they'd pray and that's good. And then they'd sing a bit and that was good. And then brother so-and-so was going to stand up and prophesy in tongues every single time. Really? Is that how it works? It really doesn't work quite that way. It really doesn't work quite that way. Now, there, now there's more to it than that, all right? We're not just going to leave it at that. So just take that as your, as your sneak preview for uh, what we will be digging into in greater detail next week. Again, be at the will of the Lord. But that's not something that's just done on cue, you know? It has to be of God, or all it is is an act. And if it's an act, nobody is really edified. The body of Christ does not profit at all and is not made any stronger. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.